you brought a Bible, find our Old Testament reading, Genesis chapter 50. Now, Genesis chapter 50 is the last chapter of the first book of the Bible. And for nearly half of the book, starting in chapter 25, from chapter 25 to the end of the book, we look at the story of Jacob. And Jacob has a very difficult life. It's complicated and it's painful. Even if you know the story, even in the womb, he and his brother are getting in fights and there's crazy stuff that happens there. His whole life is marked by conflict with his brother. And then when that gets finished, he has sons and they have conflict. And then they have conflict with him and with each other. And he has this life starting from the beginning that is filled with suffering and pain and evil. And not the least of which is that all of his sons get together and gang up on on one of the sons. They plot his murder. They terrorize him. And they sell him off into slavery. Now, three weeks ago, as we've been preaching through Genesis, three weeks ago we got to chapter 42. And we saw these amazing things that God began to do in this family to bring about the healing of this family. So there's this family torn apart by Jacob, the father, by his immaturity and his failures, and by his son's disastrous sibling rivalry. So we saw at the beginning, we saw at Genesis chapter 42, three weeks ago, we saw the beginning of a long journey of God's grace bringing healing to this broken family. Now from Genesis chapter 42... All the way to the last chapter where we are today, Genesis chapter 50. That covers about a 20-year span of time. And so what, what we need to see is that you're naive if you think that all of the pain in a dysfunctional family, in all of the suffering, in all of the anger, in all of the betrayal, if it can be solved in one weekend's happy feelings about each other and asking each other to forgive you and all that kind of stuff. No, it just gets started. In fact, when I was preaching on Genesis 42, I pointed out that Joseph began crying. And if you follow his tears, he cries seven times between there and the end of the book. And it's Joseph's family. It's their own trail of tears kind of in reverse, their movement toward healing. So this Sunday, we get to the last chapter. We get to chapter 50. And here we find that Jacob, the father of this broken and dysfunctional family, dies. And if you have ever heard of a dysfunctional family, or maybe watched one on TV or something, if you can kind of imagine what it's like in some other people in this room, uh, what they live with, what happens in a deeply broken family when the parent dies? It's kind of a... A watershed moment. When the one parent that has relationships with everybody, when that parent dies, the typical story at that moment is what? It just kind of splinters out, right? So when Jacob the father dies, notice what the brothers do in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it might be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Right? Dad died. Dad was kind of holding us together. We did try to kill him. We did sell him into slavery. We did ruin his life for all practical. We terrorized him. We're about to get it. 
And so what do they do? (laughs) They do what they probably ought to do. They figure out the cleverest way they can to ask for mercy. So notice in uh, verse 16, they sent a message to Joseph. Well, the first clever thing they did is they took a lesson from Father Jacob, right? When Jacob had really done bad to his brother Esau and he wanted to reconcile, if you remember the story, he sent all these messengers ahead of time to kind of soften up (laughs) Jacob. So they send a messenger. They don't start out face to face. They sent a messenger, an intermediary. Then listen to the rest of verse 16. The second thing they do is this intermediary says, this is kind of like a trump card. Right before dad died, he wanted you to know something, right? Your father gave this command before he died. You remember when you had to go to 7-Eleven to get something to drink and we were the only ones left? You didn't get to hear this, but we promise what he said was, tell Joseph not to kill you. And um, this is pretty clever, right? Dad on his deathbed has a dying request. That's the second thing they did. The third thing they did was for the very first time, They ask forgiveness. Verse 17. Please, please forgive your brothers. And and once more at the end, now please forgive. Twice they ask forgiveness. They had never actually said it before. The the, The fourth thing they do in their great fear that Joseph is going to take revenge, a fourth thing they do to try to kind of avoid the revenge and call on his mercy is that for the very first time, They confess to him what they did to him. Verse 17, twice they say the crime against you. Uh, Your translation, some translations, it's transgression. The word technically is crime. And then after that, they call what they did a sin. And then after that, they strip away all pretense and they say, we committed evil against you. No whitewashing it. Like, they need mercy, right? This is not the moment to let what they did go unmentioned. The fifth thing they do in their quest for mercy is they ask Joseph to remember who God is and to behave like him. He forgives. He's kind. That's at the end of verse 17. And then finally in verse 18, notice what it says. His brothers also came. After all that was said to him through the intermediary, then they show up and notice what they do. They don't say anything. They fall down. They bow down before him and they say, behold your servants. Eleven brothers. I mean, can you see it? Here's Joseph. Here's this eleven brothers bowing down after saying all these things. Now, how does Joseph respond? Well, how would you respond? You know, here they are. You've got all the power. Dad's gone. Grandma's gone. Grandpa's gone. Mom's gone. Everybody's gone. It's just you and all the power and the jerks who plotted your murder and terrorized you and sent you into therapy for the rest of your life and you're still not over it. Sold you into slavery. Slavery that was meant to end in your death. What does Joseph do? It says he weeps. It's the seventh time he cries. Why is he crying this time? Joseph weeps because they think they need a mediator. And that breaks his heart. He weeps because they're afraid of him. He he weeps because they think he's harboring hate and plotting revenge. And he weeps because he remembers they hated him. 
And they terrorized him. And they persecuted him. And all of this has to be coming into Joseph's mind, into his heart. It's all there. And in verse 19, Joseph catches his breath and he tells his brothers, do not fear. And verse 20, we come to the climactic moment of the entire story of Genesis. The entire story of Jacob's life. The entire story of Joseph's life. The climactic moment that this family has been living toward for decade upon decade upon decade. Joseph says, you meant evil against me. Notice he doesn't whitewash it. He doesn't say, oh, you were just teenagers. You didn't really know what you were doing. No, he says it for what it is. You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about that many people should be kept alive. Somehow, Joseph is looking at this whole thing differently. Same facts, same reality. But what Joseph is seeing is that through his brother's jealousy and rejection and their evil deeds, through that, God has achieved the salvation of many people. And through this terrible thing they did to Joseph by rejecting him, plotting his murder, selling him off, through that evil, God worked. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the salvation of many people. And this opens up for us the inmost mystery of not just the story of Joseph's life, but of the story the whole Bible is telling. Even when no man could imagine it, God had all the strings in his hand. Through sinful men persecuting a righteous man, God works out his saving purposes. God overrules the plans of the wicked and takes their evil plans and deeds, takes them up into his amazing power and achieves salvation for many. Sound familiar? This is the deepest mystery, not only of Joseph's life, but of the story of the whole world. And when he learned to interpret his life through the true story of the world, the family was rescued from all the dysfunction that was tearing it apart. Remember, I've been saying this for weeks. The Old Testament is not so much a collection of family stories, of biographies of various families. It is a biography. It is the biography of one character in the story the Bible tells. The Old Testament is the biography of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Joseph shows us here the outlines of truth being sketched out ahead of time. Here is a picture of Jesus drawn in the shadows. Joseph, remember, was the beloved son. Rejected by Israelites sold to non-Israelites in order to be killed. Three times he was cast into a pit. His robe was stripped off of him. And then he was raised up and exalted to the right hand of the king and given authority over all. And from there, he saved the lives of many people by giving them bread. Jesus is the beloved son. He was rejected by Israel. He was sold to non-Israelites. 
in order to be killed. His robe was stripped off of him. He was lost to the grave for three days. And then he was raised up and exalted to the right hand, not of the king of Egypt, but to the king of all kings. And he was given all authority and all power over all nations. And from there, he saves the world by giving the world the bread of life. Can you see him? Can you see Jesus more clearly. As great as Joseph was, he pales in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ. In our gospel reading this morning, Matthew chapter 28, didn't we see Jesus' 11 brothers standing around him, falling down before him, and some doubted? What were they doubting? They were not just doubting the resurrection like Joseph's brothers. They were doubting Jesus' intentions. After all, the last time Jesus saw these 11 men, it was their backsides as they fled from the garden. They abandoned him. And they are about, they're wondering, are we about to experience revenge? Will Jesus give us what we deserve? Will he reject us and punish us? Will he say, depart from me. I never knew you. I mean, that's what we would be thinking if we were them in that moment. But that's not what they hear. What they're about to hear is a, what you intended for evil. God meant for good to save the lives of many. Jesus is a new Joseph. Jesus is a brother who was lost, thought to be dead, but now has been found. He was the brother who was humiliated and is now exalted, surrounded by his 11 brothers who bow before him. He is the new Joseph revealed to his guilty brothers, offering them reconciliation. Can you see him? Can you see Jesus more clearly? Have you, like Joseph's brothers, humbled yourself before Jesus? Have you named your sin? Have you said to him, here's the truth about my selfishness. It's not just adolescent immaturity. Have you thrown yourself on the mercy of Jesus, owning up to your evil and your wickedness and your sins and your betrayal of him? Have you cast yourself on him knowing Either he gives mercy or it is hopeless for you. Have you owned up to your selfishness? If you do, you will find more compassion and more kindness and more love than Joseph's brothers found. You will find a faithfulness and a kindness that reaches to the heavens. He will forgive you and you will be reconciled with God, the Father who created you. He will save you. He will bring you into his kingdom. He will give you the bread of life. And he will give you the gift of his spirit to well up inside of you as a spring of living water. And you will live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And we could stop right there. That's enough, isn't it? But there's even more going on in this passage. The book of Genesis, you see, it begins with God telling Adam. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, God commands Adam to subdue and rule the earth. 
But he didn't, did he? We saw in chapter 3 that Adam and his offspring throw away their birthright and fail miserably over and over and over and fall deeper and deeper into the clutches of their selfishness and their own fleshly desires and their evil and their, their rejection of God. And they come into the grip of their own insecurities and rebellion and wicked hearts. But this morning we see the book of Genesis, while it starts there, it ends with another Adam. It ends with Joseph, the offspring of Adam, ruling and subduing the vast Egyptian empire. You've got to read the beginning and the end together. You've got to read chapter 1, God telling humans to rule and subdue and then getting to the end and seeing the most beautiful human in the whole book the wisest human in the whole book, the kindest, most compassionate human in the whole book, you've got to see him rising up and doing what humans were made to do all along. Here is Joseph serving faithfully and running the show everywhere he ends up. Even as a young man, his father recognized this in him and gave him authority over his brothers and put a robe on him as a sign of his position. But his brothers stripped off the robe. And once he's in Potiphar's house, he again gets the robe of authority and again begins the rule. And again, his robe is stripped off of him, this time by Potiphar's wife. And then after two years in prison, Pharaoh calls him up and he tells him a dream and Joseph interprets it. And he now again gets the robe of authority and ruling and he begins to rule over the Gentiles. And like all great kings in the Bible, Joseph rules in order to serve. He doesn't reject authority. Because to reject authority would be to reject God's plan. Because God commanded humans to have authority. And to rule and subdue. And so when he's given authority, he doesn't reject it. He hasn't become anti-authority. He hasn't decided that the way you stop abuse is to egalitize everybody. He's decided the way you stop abuse is by using authority and power for what it's meant to be used for. To serve for the life of the world. So when Joseph becomes the second ruler in Egypt, he does not use his power to do selfish things. Instead, he uses his power to give bread to the world. He doesn't use his power and authority and rights to take revenge against his brothers who committed grievous evil against him. Instead, he feeds them too and he invites them to come live with him and he gives them the best of the land of Egypt. And he forgives them. You see, Joseph, you've got to read the book as a whole. You need to one day sit down with the book of Genesis and a cup of tea or whatever you put in your cup when you want to have a good read and just start at the beginning and read all the way to the end and don't stop and don't, don't go past go and don't pray, don't interrupt, don't get up. Just read the whole thing and feel that finally at the end we have Adam doing what Adam was meant to do. What about you? Could we say this of you? Are you... Using your power and your influence and whatever authority you have at any place in your life, are you using it for the life of the world or to serve your own selfish ends? What about your ability to make money? When you get a dollar, is your first thought, what can I get? Or is your first thought, 
I have this power to make money, whether it's $5 here or $5,000 or $500,000. I have power. I have authority. I get to make this, and I'm to use this for the life of the world. What about your ability and your power and your authority over your family? Over your children, your friends, your employees. What about the waitress at the restaurant? Are you being who you were made to be? God created us to be priests and kings, to rule in order to serve. To do the hard work, to, take, to put in real hard work in order to make reconciliation. Are you using all of your intelligence and all of your influence and all of your capabilities to labor for the healing of your family, for peace with your enemies? Are you using all of your capabilities to do the hard work of forgiveness, which can take 20 years? Are you using your influence and your power to serve with kindness and compassion and mercy and wisdom? That's what we're shown. We're shown in the book of Genesis. Humans were made for a reason. And we're shown by the end of it, finally, a human doing that. And that's what you're called to do. And that's what you're made to do. And we could stop the sermon there, right? That, well, this would be good enough. We would all sit around and confess how poorly Sam is doing at this and pray for him. <laughs> or maybe even we'll be bold enough to do this for ourselves, to own up to our own failings at this. But there's another thing here, one more thing. Notice the last thing Joseph says to his brothers. This is Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he promised. Joseph dies knowing that God keeps his promises. That God is faithful like a solid rock. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, we're told, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is a promise. This whole creation is going to be healed. Government's going to be healed. Even the American government. Even Sudan. Families are going to be healed. This whole creation is going to be set free from the death and the decay that is eating it alive like a cancer, metastasizing through the whole thing. It goes on, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly because it's not finished its work in us. We await it in us. Like, don't you, don't you, even those of you who are Christians, even those of you who have fallen on your face before the Lord Jesus and cried out for His mercy and He's given it to you, don't you still groan for your own flesh to stop dragging you down and your own memories and your own weaknesses and the selfishness that has burrowed itself deep into the recesses of your heart? Don't all of us still groan for God to keep his promise and to finish his work of redemption in our lives and in our bodies that get cancer and in our minds that are ruined by bad experiences? We long for this and it, the Bible is clear. God will finish this. 
Listen how the rest of the passage goes. For in this hope we were saved. In what hope? The hope that creation and this creation and this mind and this heart and my body and my loves and my loyalty and that hope that it will be reconciled. I've been saved. For, listen to the rest of it. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Just like Joseph's brother. Joseph's dead. The most beautiful human in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis ends with him in a grave. As good as he is, he's dead. And all they have in that moment, they no longer have the right hand of Pharaoh on their side. And when you turn to the next page of the Bible, you see how that works out for them. All they have when he dies is hope, but not hallmark hope, not wishful thinking. No, biblical hope is God is faithful and I'm waiting for it. All they have is waiting with patience. And like Joseph's brothers, we are waiting in patience. We are waiting to see our Lord Jesus Christ keep his promises. And in a few minutes, we're going to sing it. We're going to sing of these promises and we're going to sing about our deep faith in Jesus Christ that by his blood and by his righteousness we are redeemed and we are forgiven and we will plant our lives on that and we will be fully and finally rescued along with all of this entire creation that God is faithful to his promises. He will deliver us and set us free from our own bondage to sin and the creation's bondage to this darkness that grabs us, God will finish his work. He will take you to the promised land. Your flesh will be made whole. Your mind will be healed. Your emotions will be healed. Your body will be healed. Your heart will be healed. And if you have given your life in faith and obedience to Jesus Christ, if you have bowed before him in humble submission, then your life is hidden with Christ in God. And if you haven't done this, if you haven't realized, like Joseph's brothers, you're in trouble. You've sinned against God. If you haven't realized it, he does hold all the power. And you do deserve revenge. By the way, if you were God, how would you treat you? You deserve it. I deserve it. And if you haven't come to that place to really know that's the real state of things, and you haven't yet thrown yourself before him, crying out for mercy, don't delay. Because like we're going to sing in a few minutes, unless you do that, everywhere else you stand is shifting sand. Christ alone is a solid rock. But if you've done it, if you have fallen before him and put your faith in him and asked for his mercy, then hear what God is saying to you this morning. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, is God talking to you. I will visit you. And I will bring you up out of this land to the land that I promised. Let's pray.